Good morning. My name is Dylan Doze, and I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church here in Marshalltown, Iowa. We just want to welcome those of you watching from Country Bible Church in Blair, Nebraska, and for those of you that just caught on with us on YouTube or on Facebook. We're so happy that you're here to join us in our series, Keep Going. One of the great joys I have is I get to coach youth basketball. I get a coach from about third to sixth grade, and one of the exciting things is I get to take over the entire program next year. But when I'm in practice, one of the things I focus on more than anything is when we're doing sprints. I focus on which kid touches the end line before they turn around and sprint back. And I will get on them. I always look for it. I'll make them run it over again. Why? Because close isn't good enough. When you get almost there, it doesn't count. And I'll have kids argue with me, but I was so close. I was right there. I basically did the same thing. We know the old adage, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And frankly, I don't play horseshoes and I've never touched a hand grenade. So I don't mess with that stuff at all. Close doesn't work in my life. But I will tell you, it's not just me. God doesn't mess with close. God doesn't mess with, mess with close, good enough, or almost. They're all synonymous, and none of them are what God has for us. I would say that almost is not God's plan. I call this the six verse seven principle. See, six and seven, they don't seem that much different. Is your kid six or seven years old? Are they in first grade or in kindergarten? Who knows? Did your grandma for your 40th birthday send you $6 or $7? It doesn't really matter, right? They seem so close. It seems inconsequential. But when we look in the scriptures, seven always represents fulfillment, wholeness, completion. Seven times 70, seven years. Seven is always this number of fulfillment, while six does not have the same cachet in God's kingdom. Well, six is actually a part of, if you take it three times, six, 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 what is that? It's the number of the devil, not a great number, right? But the reality is, is there's nothing evil about this. What it is pointing to is it's almost seven. It's not quite, it's incomplete, it's insufficient, right? That's what sin often is, it's almost it's a Xerox copy. It's not quite there. See, almost is not God's plan. And we're going to be jumping into the story of Joshua and his people. They're culminating not just their own life, but centuries. Going all the way back to over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They were not a people. They did not have their own land. They were tilling someone else's land. They were building someone else's pyramids. They were doing someone else's work, enslaved, oppressed. But then God raised up Moses. And Moses, along with Aaron, brought them out of Egypt through the plagues and, and through God showing up over and over and over again. And as they left and the chariots came to, to go back after him, Moses, through the power of the Holy Spirit, parted that Red Sea, and they walked across, only to find themselves almost obeying God, almost doing what God wanted. And that almost culminated in them wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, Joshua and his people, they were refugees born in the desert. 
They didn't even come from Egypt. They were born in the desert. And, and as Moses handed off the reins to Joshua, we see God continually moving them closer and closer to the promised land, closer and closer to what he had for them. They parted the Jordan River. They walked across. And right before we get to our story in Joshua 6, it says that they reestablished covenant through circumcision. A bunch of people were circumcised that day, which they had not practiced in the wilderness. They had reestablished worship. They had reestablished their own crops. No longer did they rely on manna, but they relied on the ground that God had given them. They were almost to the promised land. They could taste it. They could see it. And we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 6, and I want to give us the first verse. And it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. Here's a truth. They are so close to success. They are so close to accomplishing. They're so close to walking into the promised land. We often think when we're that close, it should just be easy. The reality is, the closer we get to success, usually there's one big hurdle that we have to overcome. There's one big last stand. There's one big... I like to call it Satan in his death throes, where he throws every single ounce of everything at you as a last-ditch effort. And I feel like this is what Joshua and his people are coming up to. They finally get to the promised land, and it's shut up. Walls are down. No one in, no one out. Can you see how easy it would be to settle for close, almost, good enough? As Joshua is leading all these people... All these cool things that happen, and now you're like, man, alive. Do I really want to beat down these walls? Do I really want to have to do this? Do I really want to pay the price to do that? Or, we've already reestablished worship. We've already done covenant. We've already got our crops. This seems good enough, right? This seems enough for me. But the reality is we wouldn't have called this series Keep Going if almost, close, or good enough was truly good enough. In our first week as we looked at it, we, we talked about what it was to be scattered but not severed from God, that we may find ourselves in all these different places through social distancing and not feeling like we're living our normal life, right? Our normal relational connections. We feel disconnected from those that we love deeply, but it does not mean that we're disconnected from the one who created us and loves us deeply. And then last week we talked about being scarred. How we saw David and Keilah and, and Psalm 54 and, and how God calls us to keep going even when we've been betrayed and deeply hurt. This week we're going to talk about success. And as we talk about success, what does it mean to be successful in the kingdom? And I believe it's perseverance. I believe it's just that we would keep going, keep plugging. But kingdom perseverance does not mean finishing. Kingdom perseverance means finishing strong. 
God does not want us to limp across the finish line. God does not want us to limp into the promised land. God didn't want them to trip over the doorway and just fall into Jericho. No, he wanted them to finish strong. He wants you and I to finish strong. See, Joshua and his people may have been born refugees in the lineage of slaves, but God had a better and bigger story to tell. You may or may not be a refugee. You may or may not have slaves in your lineage, but you and I may come from different places, but his goal for each one of us is the same. That we would walk in the fullness of God, that we would grab a hold of all that he has for us, and that we would fully step into his promise. And that we would just build momentum over and over throughout our life. See, the goal is that our final steps with God on this earth are our strongest steps with God on this earth. Think about this relationally. Do we want the best moments of our marriage to be when we said, I do? Or do we want our best moments of our marriage to be as we're breathing our last? See, many of us are strong and spend all that money for that wedding, but by the end, our marriage has turned into a 1950 sitcom. We're sleeping in two twins' beds on the opposite side, and we're really not even connecting. When we think of it vocationally, that we may start with a strong desire to do the work, but by the time we're 63, 64, we're begging for a gold watch and just trying to get the time to expire so we can retire and no longer have to deal with it. Or even worse, spiritually, that we said yes to Jesus, and now we're just trying to manage that feeling for the next 10 months, 10 years, 60 years, 70 years, just trying to wait out the clock. See, almost isn't good enough. Finishing isn't good enough. In the kingdom, God wants us to finish strong, to keep going, to keep pursuing the passion of who God is. We want to continue this story as Joshua will not settle for just standing outside of a locked up Jericho. And we'll pick up the story in verses 2 through verse 5. And it says, But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times, and the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one last blast, one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into town. I don't know about you, that sounds like finishing strong. That sounds like building and building to the pinnacle, to the zenith. It does not look like you're acquiescing or just doing something that's good enough or all most. There are important things as we dig into this part of the story. See, it's important for us to keep persevering, keep going, finishing strong. But it's also important to understand where that strength comes from and what's the plan to carry that out. Because if we look at the text here, one of the first things that we see, the Lord speaks first, right? The power is in the promise. The power is in the promise because it says, I have given you Jericho. 
God is saying that straight out. I've given you. I've given you the city. I've given you the warriors. I've given you everything that you need. I'm the one who's making it happen. See, you and I, we are promised people. To be a Christian is to be a person so connected to promise that we cannot breathe without promise. We cannot move without promise. Everything about our sense of reality is based on promise and hope. We fundamentally believe that reality isn't simply what we see, but it is driven and it is molded and it is shaped by the promises that God speaks into us. See, the reality is God is a God who is filled with hope. He is not this Mad Max apocalyptic conspiracy theory God, but he is this hope-filled God who keeps speaking promises. And what is filled in these promises is that the promise is bigger than now. See, when he says, I've given you Jericho, he's talking about the future. He says, it's bigger than now. My purposes, my plan, my promise for you is not that you would stand outside the gates. Not that you would be outside tailgating the promised land. That's not what God has for us. See, it's bigger than now. I don't know about you, but now, these moments, setting up all this so we can record a message instead of having you with us, it has some benefits, but it's also hopefully not the bigger promise God has for us. I don't know about you, but parts of my day are boring. Parts of my day are good. Parts of my day are depressing. And it just feels like it's Groundhog's Day on repeat, right? But the promise of God is that it's bigger than now. But it's not just bigger than now. It's bigger than me. Hope you get that in the promise. God didn't give Jericho to Israel because they were awesome. God was giving Jericho to Israel because they were his people. He is faithful. He was faithful to them. See, it's his promises, they're bigger than me. They're bigger than my talent. They're bigger than my skill set. They're bigger than my expertise or intellect. Paul says this. He says, many of you were not called because you were brilliant, right? God actually used our ignorance, our lack of skill, our lack of talent to show how talented and skilled he was, how good he was. See, promises are bigger than now and they're bigger than me. So as he speaks this promise into the people, as he speaks this promise into Joshua, he also gives them a plan to carry it out. It's an interesting plan. Priests are involved, ram horns are involved, doing laps is involved. Not just one day, not just two days, six, now seven days. And on that seventh day, It's not good enough to just do one lap. You got to do seven laps, right? That fulfillment, that wholeness into completion. And he says, that is the plan. See, when God speaks this promise, he also gives us the plan. And the plan is the people of the promise. See, I think a lot of us just hold back like, all right, God, you made the promise. You're going to make it happen. That's true, but he's going to make it happen through us. See, we are a promised people, but we are also the people to help carry out the promise. This is a big call. This is a big promise. Yes, God was speaking. He was speaking to Joshua, but it wasn't just Joshua's promise. 
This was Israel's promise. This was a community promise that he was speaking through Joshua. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we approach God as if when God gives us a promise, we just expect him to snap his fingers and for that promise to be fulfilled in our lives. We don't actually expect to participate in that promise. We're almost like, well, it is what it is, right? If God said it, or if I just kind of keep going the way I will, in the end, it'll all work out. That's not how God works. God works by speaking promise into us and then partnering with us to carry out that promise. And as Joshua is given this promise, I think his mind is starting to work. See, it says that God talked to Joshua. And now Joshua's got to talk to about a million people. He's got to talk to a million people to communicate not only the promise of God, but now the plan of God. He has now got to take the words from the creator of the universe, the one in deep covenant with the people, take that promise, speak that to the people, and then tell them how they are going to participate in making it a reality. I don't know about you. But I would be sensing some nervousness, right, if I was Joshua. Maybe some excitement, some anxiety, some giddiness. All these emotions coming together. And Joshua had been told what he was going to do, what God was going to do. Joshua had been told who was going to carry out the plan. And now Joshua's entrusted with helping them carry out and implement the plan. I want to think about this in our own lives, in our own perspectives. As God is speaking to us, and I want us to get this, it's first an us promise before it's a me promise. As God is speaking to us as churches, as God is speaking to us in the moment, what is the promise that he is communicating? Right, we go all the way back to James where we're in week one. It says that trials and troubles and testing, they ultimately are opportunities and options for God to do a miraculous work that we can become complete, lacking nothing. See, that's a promise God has for us, is that we would be whole people, that we would step into the promised land to be in full relationship with Him, with full authority and abilities as His children. To walk in that full inheritance that he has for us. See, that's a promise he has for us. And the plan for us is to work with each other and work with him to carry that out. And for those of you in leadership, you have the same role that Joshua did. How do I continue to communicate the promise he has for us all that includes us all? How do I communicate that to actually implement that? We'll see how Joshua does it as, as he moves forward in verses 6 through 22. And it says, So Joshua called together the priests. He took his lead team. He took his elder board. He took, he took those in charge and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant. Those that 
had the Ten Commandments in it, those that had, had items of promise from the past, go take the Ark of the Covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind him. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priest with the horns and some behind the Ark, and the priest continually blowing the horns. Do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Almost there. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. You will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords and men and women, young and old, cattle and sheep, goats and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. They did it. I think it's incredible. This huge story coming from 440 years in slavery through an incredible battle of the gods of Egypt with God through the plagues to an incredible freeing fleeing in freedom out of Egypt to the parting of the Red Sea to God providing daily manna to crossing the Jordan and now entering into Jericho. This has been an incredible story. One from humble beginnings now with an incredible conclusion. They did it. But how? How did they do it? We know that they walked around in circles and stuff, but really what are the things that they showed us that you and I, though we come from humble beginnings, though we all come from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different struggles, how do we actually step into the fullness, the promised land that God has for us? The first thing that we have to understand is that we must personalize the promise. This was a promise to a million people. 
How easy would it have been on day two to say, why do I need to go walk out there? I'm not a priest. I'm not an armed man. I'm just walking in circles. No one will miss me. See, again, we must understand this isn't Joshua's promise that he's telling Israel about. This is Israel's promise that Joshua is called to tell and lead Israel through. You are a part of the million. We are a part of the million. Each one of us to carry out the big promise has to find our footing in it. How do we do that? How do we understand that this big promise is a personal promise. It all starts with how we view God. Is God just this distant big God marked by power? Or is God this powerful God that is personal with each one of us? Do we see as a God who cares about the everyday? Do we see God as a person that cares about each one of us individually? Do we understand that he is a God who stepped into human history through human flesh to tell us how personal he was? That he cares intimately about every hair on your head. See, we must personalize this promise. Because if we don't personalize the promise, we will always be stuck at almost. We will always be stuck outside of the promised land thinking, well, this is good enough, right? I can identify as a Christ follower. I can identify here. But you're not actually stepping into the real promise that God has for you. And you will read the scriptures as if they're someone else's promise. You'll read the scriptures as these are the words of God for the professionals. These are the words of God for someone else, but they're not for me. We will never be able to finish strong if we cannot personalize the promises of God. I will tell you, the big story doesn't happen if the million Israelites don't follow suit and find their purpose in that promise. And as we personalize that promise, I I think so much of that when we understand and we internalize, we metabolize the promises of God, it helps us go through some pretty dark stuff. See, when you personalize that God will never leave you nor forsake you, you understand when you're struggling that God is with you. See, when we personalize the promise that God for so lo- that for so loved you that he was willing to give up his son, then you understand your inherent value. When we personalize and understand that the scriptures that are there are not just for the million Israelites back then, but for the billions a part of his church now, we then understand the power of God and it helps us to keep going. Even when we find ourselves in the desert, even when we find ourselves in Egypt, even when we find ourselves just struggling for direction, when we personalize the promise, it helps motivate us and push us through. The second thing we see here is that we must verbalize the promise. Verbalizing God's promise is essential. God spoke. He verbalized it to Joshua. What's the first thing Joshua does? He verbalizes that promise to the people. 
It's said when we speak out the promise, it makes it real. When you verbalize something, you actually become accountable to it. I don't know about you, but I tend to have a lot of ideas throughout the day, a lot of dreams, a lot of plans. But really, I'm not accountable to it until I speak it out. Right? Because when I speak it out, now I'm entrusting that to other people. They can now call me on it. So whatever happened to that? See, we must verbalize the promise of God. Because when we verbalize, we can call it a lot of things. But that's how we cast vision. That's how we bring God's revelation to people. Is when he gives us something and we speak it out. That's how things get done. That's how we continue move. It's how we're able to collaborate. It's how we're able to connect. Is when we are able to verbalize and communicate the things that God are doing, God is doing, incredible things happen. If we just clam up and shut up, I don't know how you're thinking that God is going to communicate. And you may, you may say a lot of things. Well, I'll just do it by my actions. Actions speak louder than words. There's truth to that, but words do a pretty good job of speaking as well. Sometimes you have to define your actions. Sometimes you have to define what God is doing in you to be able to speak that out with clarity so people can grab a hold of it, so people can collaborate, so people can come alongside you. Sometimes God needs you to speak it so they know where to go, so we know where to go with it. Verbalizing is absolutely essential. It is why the scriptures say, How will they know, right? Unless someone is sent and someone speaks, right? The communication of what God is doing is essential to everything. It is essential to what God has for us. It's why we preach. It's why we speak. It's why we worship together. It's why we pray together. Because language is so drastically important. But as important as it is, I think it's really interesting that in the text, though Joshua speaks, he also tells them to be quiet. Right? As they're actually walking around, there's no talking. At the beginning and at the end, Joshua speaks at the beginning. They shout at the end. Everything in between, he's like, no, we're not going to worry about being all talk. We're not going to just talk about it. We're going to be about it. And I think a lot of us have been around churches that have talked about it a lot. We've been around people. Maybe it's been us. We've talked a lot about God's promises. But we really haven't done anything about God's promises. We've liked to chat about it. I love to have ideas as anybody else. I love to talk over coffee as much as anyone else. But we all know those people, after about two times of having coffee with them, they ain't going to do anything about anything, right? They would rather just talk about ideas and complain about other people's ideas, but they're actually not going to do anything. See, built into this is, yes, we must verbalize the the promise, but this isn't name it, claim it. This isn't just, here's a promise and let me talk about it. It's like, no, we... We've got some work to do. We're actually going to step into something. It's bigger than just words. right? This is not a faith. This is not a relationship merely of words. This is a 
relationship. This is a call. This is a promise of power. Right? You don't make it to the promised land talking about it. You make it to the promised land by, by connecting and giving yourself over to God and his power. See, we verbalize that thing. We personalize it. We verbalize it. But we must also activate the promise. How do they activate it? How did they activate the promise? Day one. Wake up at the camp. Get the supplies ready for the day. Put on the knapsack. Take that couple mile loop around the city of Jericho. Come back. Put the knapsack away. Get up that next day. Do it again. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth day. Get up. Do it again. That seventh day. Not once. Not twice. Not three or four, five, six times. But seven times. You walk it out. See, we activate the promise by obeying and walking in obedience. What is that promise that God is speaking into your life? What is that call to wholeness? to the things in your life, he wants you to activate that by obeying it, by stepping it out. You may be walking through a divorce right now and feeling like, why did God forsake you? You may be in financial trouble right now thinking, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay a bill. You may have lost a job. You may not understand. You may, God, just tell me what you want to do. And you feel like he's not speaking to you. You can have all these situations that you find yourself in and God's just telling, it's time to activate. It's time to just take that step of obedience. It's time to just start walking out your faith. I've told you the small steps to take. Now do it. And it may not make sense to you. I don't know about you. Joshua probably had a closest, right? God had spoken clearly to him. But if I'm one of the guys in the back, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. How does walking around this place matter? How does it matter? Day five, not a pebble has moved. Seventh day, fifth time around, nothing has moved. How does this do anything? And you're wondering where this God of promise is. Will he show up? Is he going to be there? But God just says, no, keep stepping, keep walking. Keep motivating yourself. Keep doing it around. What would have happened if they would have just sat around in the camp and said, did you hear what God promised us? And they never took a step. That promise would have been a wish and it would have stopped outside the gates of Jericho. But I'll also say, as much as we can personalize it, verbalize it, and activate it, it doesn't come true if we do not prioritize the promise, we must prioritize the promise. It must be the number one thing you think of when you wake up and when you go to sleep. What is the promise that God has for my life? What is the thing that God wants to do in my life? For Joshua, for the Israelites, what was it? it he says it clearly. He says, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around. I am giving you the promised land. 
God's promise to you is he's giving you the promised land. He's giving you the fullness of himself. He's given you all his inheritance. We must prioritize that. We cannot minimize that. We cannot push it to the back. It cannot sit in the co-pilot seat or be in the car seat in the back. It must be the thing that drives every moment of our lives. It's got to be first and foremost. Because when we don't prioritize the promise, we start to complain. This is stupid. Why am I paying this cost? Why am I getting up early to walk around this city again? If you don't prioritize the promise, there will be so many other things that get in the way. This sporting event for my kid. This financial obligation. This relationship, that relationship, this dream, that wish. If the promise of God is not the priority in your life, the promise of God will never be fulfilled in your life. God does not play second fiddle. If Joshua had not prioritized the promise, there is no way he would have stood up in front of a million people and on that sixth day said, I'm going to go do it again. If the priests hadn't prioritized the promise, they would not have taken that ram's horn every single day, kept walking around. If the armed men had not prioritized that promise, they would have not every day walked around when nothing was happening until the final walk around on that seventh day. See, we must prioritize his promise. He must be first because he will not be second. And as they prioritize this and the walls came down. I want to tell you, I don't think they were surprised. I don't think they were surprised because it was what God said he would do. And as we walk into our own journey, our own story, There are going to be moments here soon where the promises of God are going to be fulfilled in our lives. Where we will see those walls come down. Where the things we beg God for are now reality. Where the things we thought were only wishful thinking now are true, realized things that God has placed in our lives. See, almost is not God's plan. Standing outside of the gates of Jericho are not God's plan. Enveloping, coming inside, inhabiting Jericho, that is God's plan. See, almost is not God's plan, all is God's plan. Meaning, we're all in, everything about us. We go all out, and it includes all of us. Now what is lost in this story, is as incredible as these moments are, And as seemingly as much as the Israelites did what they were supposed to, later on it shows that they didn't quite follow everything to a T. They almost did. And it ultimately caused them destruction again. But thank goodness we don't entrust our faith to Joshua. We don't entrust our faith to a million Israelites. 
we entrust ourselves to Joshua part two, Yeshua, Jesus, the one who removes us from slavery and brings us through these impossible situations by overcoming the idols in our lives. And even as we find ourselves in wilderness, desert, and feeling deserted, he provides for us, he provides for us ultimately to the point where he grabs a hold of our heart. He speaks promise into us. And he personalizes it to the power of that spirit who knit us together now knits those promises back into us. And he speaks those to us and we get to speak them back to him. And then he starts to activate those things that we get to walk them out. And then they become the focus of our life. See, we don't entrust ourselves to some Old Testament story. We trust ourselves to a current reality, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen.